It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly Pope edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital columnist and editor with Rick Broering. Each and every week we talk about sports topics of local interest, sometimes a national topic or two. We've got a gambling segment and a segment where you can ask me a question on any topic. Just go to Twitter, hit Rick up with hashtag AskSkinnyAnything. As always, this podcast brought to you by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending. Rick, before we get into this week's podcast, we had a question last week where where somebody asked, uh, what's the most offensive thing an official ever said to me? And I really didn't come up with it, but somebody reminded me of this, and it actually happened in this past season. When at halftime, you know how officials will come over and, and check the check the book, right? Before they walk off the floor, they'll check the scorebook. Yep. So while my team was already off the floor, well, my score and the guy keeping the clock heard an official because I complained in the first half. Um, he called one of my kids for flopping. And I said, I said, we work on taking charges. We don't teach flopping. I said, I said, trust me, the kid's just probably scared to get hit. Nope, I've had you so many times. I know you teach flopping. I'm thinking, no, I don't. So as I'm walking off the I, I'm by I'm off the floor. By the time I come back out, the, the two people at the table said, well, he just told the other guy that you teach flopping, that you cheat. And I went, what? He said, what? He said that you cheat, teach flopping and that you cheat. So as soon as he came out of the locker or came out of his area with his partner, I summoned him over to me and I simply said, listen, I heard what you said about me teaching flopping and, and, and I, I cheat um, as well. A uh, guy said, I, I never said that. I said, I said, well, now you're a blank and liar. And at this point, it escalated pretty quickly to the point where I had to get a, a, a person over to kind of intervene with that. The point I said, listen, I said, all I'm asking you to do is learn how to call a charge. He goes, well, I'm telling you that you teach your kids to flop. And I said, and I'm telling you point blank, I don't. Well, guess what happened the first three calls of the second half on charges? Every, every one of them, he called a charge on the other team. I, so I, I have to say, I love this ref. Yeah. yeah. I, I love this ref. I mean, your reputation precedes you. He probably listens to the podcast and hears you talking about charges so often. He's absolutely right. Teaching hmm. charges is the same thing as teaching flopping. Oh, wow. Wow. I'm not saying you're a cheater, but I am saying you teach flopping for sure. I don't teach flopping. Yeah, you I do. Te- I teach kids how to properly take the charge is what one I teach. One in the same. <laughs> so one there you the, go. I, I love I, that ref. Yeah, I, I had forgotten about that. And that. That was not good. He actually kicked a parent out of or a grandparent out of a game a couple of weeks later. Uh, for telling calling telling me as a horrible official. And that's all he said. He didn't say anything. He didn't curse at the official. He just said, you are a horrible official. And he ran the guy out of the gym. This guy sounds like a real tough guy. Real tough guy. <laughs> nice. <laughs> all right. Well, Skinny, sometimes when we do this podcast, it, it's like, you know, there's sometimes there's great topics. This time of year, it seems like there's not a lot. And then inevitably, as soon as we get done recording and I get into edit mode, <laughs> something will break in all hell will break loose. And it's like, why couldn't have that had happened before we recorded the podcast in a given yeah. week? Yeah. Last week was one of those weeks, maybe as much as we've ever had, because as I was maybe halfway through editing our podcast news broke that USC and UCLA are leaving the PAC 12 to join the big 10 as early as 2024. There's a lot to talk about with that and a lot of rumors have been circulating since that news broke but that's probably where we'll spend a lot of our time on today's podcast hey tr- trust me trust me rick before you dive into this um as soon as this podcast is over you realize notre dame is going to probably have an affiliation <laughs> i'm i think we're good on notre dame but i can't guarantee anything that's good in point. terms of what will or won't happen with realignment now let's start big picture with this though what were your thoughts when you heard USC and UCLA are joining the Big Ten? 
And where do you think this ultimately leads? Are we going two leagues with 20 teams or more? Are we going three leagues with 16? What do you think the, the big picture is here? Yeah, it makes me sad for starters. Um, I'm a traditionalist, and that's probably maybe my age range shows that. Um, I don't like all of this. I haven't liked all of this. Um, I just, I, th- I think you've just, you, you've pissed all over tradition. And I'm telling you, it's going to catch up to all these, all these schools one day where they look around and they have 25,000 people in the stands because the people who loved all the things that, that made it great uh, are no longer around and, and the rest just never cared. It's just such a big money grab. That's all sports is so much. And it's just such a damn big money grab that it just makes me sick. Um, yeah, big picture. I, I can't imagine you'll have, have less than three big leagues. Um, I can't believe you'll only have the two, but I, I do think you're going to probably have three, and that would be the third being that the all likelihood the Big 12, Pac-12 amalgamation, although now the Pac-12 is trying to save itself with some kind of partnership with the ACC, which is also kind of looking for a lifeline here. Um, I can't see I can't see less than three. I, I've always thought four 16s made sense, I guess. Um, just the, the round number of that from a, from a playoff perspective of there's your four winners. And then we can sort out the rest. How many of our teams we want to go from a football perspective. The, the thing that's interesting is obviously this is obvious a money grab for the schools and, and the, there's a ton of money at stake, but, but I'll tell you in football, not everybody's going 10 and two or 11 and one. There's gonna be a lot of four and eights in there. There's gonna be a lot of sad alumni bases in there from probably pretty good programs and pretty good schools. So be careful what everybody wishes for here is, would be my point. Well, that's the thing that. I wonder about because there are a lot of teams right now that are already in those big time conferences, the SEC and the Big Ten, that are making tons of money year after year, and yet they've been a dormant program for decades. Well, that's the other part, Rick, because I I do think you're going to see, use relegation as the term, I think you're going to see that in some leagues. I mean, what value other than academics does Vanderbilt bring to the Southeastern Conference? Maybe a couple of sports, right? They're good in baseball. They're, they're occasionally good enough in basketball to make the NCAA tournament, but I could see some of that taking place too of saying you really don't provide our conference much other than you just keep sucking money out of it. Well, and I, I don't know how likely that is because I do think a lot of times when they're forming these agreements, that's kind of written in that mm-hmm. these schools are protected. So I think it's going to be tough to start kicking them out. We may be a little bit from getting to that point. I think it's on the table at some point down the line that we'll have some type of relegation. But even just the perspective that you were sharing that you already have teams that are making all this money and yet can't really compete. You think that's going to get any better when you go to 20 or more than 20 teams in a conference? And the other thing with that is the NFL has two 16 team conferences separated into four divisions. At some point, it just gets unwieldy to have 22, 24 teams. In one conference, I don't know exactly what you do for us from a scheduling perspective, from a, a figuring out championships perspective. I mean, it, it's it's going to get hard just to sort all this out. So I do think that you probably always have more than just two conferences involved, but it's, it's clearly going to the big conglomeration. Well, and that's, that's where, I mean, let's use the Big Ten as an example because they're the ones that just took the two West Coast teams, and obviously then you have the Far East Coast with Rutgers. I mean, I could still see them adding a couple of more teams to the mix, probably another one towards the, the, the west of the Rockies perhaps, um, and, and then it is kind of an NFL style. You do have a Big Ten East, 
a Big Ten North, a Big Ten Central, and a Big Ten West. And they don't always, the West doesn't always play the East every year, kind of like the NFL. You rotate the divisions in which you play. That way, Rutgers doesn't have to make um, a trip every year to UCLA and USC. And let's just throw Washington and Oregon in there. They're just as an example, I don't think they're the teams involved, but we'll just throw them in there for geography's sake. You don't have to travel to them every, you know, but every maybe four years, not just for football and basketball, but but for the for the minor sports as well. You just they're they're out of the mix. You're not you're, you don't have the West this year. Your 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 crossover rival is the is the North, and the travel is Michigan, Michigan State. Take your pick, Iowa, whatever is in the North. I think that's where you're going to go with all these leagues. So I think you will have regionalization from that perspective. The SEC tried to get all these teams to agree to expanded college football playoff this past year that would give automatic bids to all of these major conferences. And for some reason, they decided they were going to team up and shoot that down. And now you've got the Pac-12 slash Pac-10 and the Big 12 absolutely scrambling to figure out what they're going to do to save themselves. When if they had just decided to agree to those terms and say, yeah, let's do an expanded playoff, we're guaranteed an automatic bid, they'd be in a fine spot for the next however many years that that agreement was in place. Because if you have an automatic bid to the playoff, who cares if your conference is getting weaker to some extent, right? right? right. Like that gives the, the top dog in your conference a chance to actually win. And then if you're the big 12, it's probably a lot easier to go get Oregon and bring them into the fold and say, Hey, you could be the best team in the big 12 at this point now, potentially. And, and we'll all be strong together. Instead, these leagues don't have any type of lifeline now and are going to have to get really t- creative just to survive. Then you've got the whole issue on, in the ACC with the, the grant of rights that extends through like 2036, I think, 36, or 2034. Yeah, 20, no, 36. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I mean, which is insane. And I will say this. You, you keep hearing about people bringing that up and bringing all these other minutia details up about why certain things won't happen. Don't listen to those people. Those people are never right about realignment. You know why? Because all these contracts and everything that's in place don't matter. They are going to be broken. These teams will backstab each other. I get that it could cost a lot of money to get out of that grant of rights in the ACC. But if it comes to it, they'll figure out a way to get it done. Yeah, no question. Because it, it, it really now it comes down to the media rights deals for all of this. And, and they're coming up very quickly. That's why this is all leading to where it's leading to right now. And if the ACC is smart, it will waive something like that. Um, because they're going to be the one left holding the bag when it comes to, to TV rights money and 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 stuck sucking hind tit for for lack of a better term. Let's so Big Ten and SEC are obviously the two major players at this. Yeah, point. Let, let me let me I I, I, don't, I don't mean to cut you off, but I am. If 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 you're a UC fan, does this dampen your enthusiasm at all, or does it make you go, "Who we got in just under the wire"? Well, I think you're happy that you're not in the AAC, regardless. Right. Because even whatever the Big 12 is going to be for the next couple of years is better than what you had in the AAC. No doubt. The problem is, I don't know how you can look at this from a UC perspective and feel like the Big 12 is as stable or is as good of a situation as you thought it was when you initially made the announcement that you were going to the Big 12. It's hard for me to believe that it's still as good for you as it was then. We yeah, don't know exactly be, would, what's next. Would you be excited to add Oregon, Washington, Colorado, even though Colorado has pledged its allegiance to the Pac-12, and I'm not believing that pledge of allegiance. Would you be excited now all of a sudden if they're coming into this league from a football perspective, Utah? Well, 
Well, I mean, it makes it tougher on you for one. Yes. So that's yes. not ideal. Uh, but but I mean, if you would have said, hey, Texas and Oklahoma are st- still in the Big 12, UC still wants to join that conference. Yeah, I'm with you. You know what I mean? So I don't think the, the added competition is a big issue. The bigger issue is even if they do add a Washington, Oregon, I still don't know that that makes the Big 12 all that stable. Now, it helps a lot for cert- for sure. And for the next however many years, at least until Notre Dame figures out what they're doing, you're probably on fairly stable footing. But yeah, I mean, the immediate thing here is you wonder if it impacts UC's recruiting at all because they've put together a really good recruiting class. Are any of these kids going to look up and say, uh-oh, Big 12 ain't going to be it in terms of having the chance to succeed on the biggest stage or getting the best NIL money or any of that stuff. So it's possible it could have impact initially just from a recruiting perspective. I don't think that'll be too big of a deal. But long-term, I just think you feel like your your conference situation that you were aiming for and hoping you could reach is now destabilized and you have no idea what's next. No, right. That's, that's, the, that's the part that would be a little terrifying. But yes, I would also say, Thank goodness I'm not in the AAC, and I'm at least now in a league that has a chance to still be a big part of the conversation. Yeah, I mean, and that's – so I think that's the biggest question for me is what happens to the college football playoff? Because, again, if they had agreed to expand it and you have automatic bids, then I think everything's stable for however long that agreement would have been for. And I can't remember what was on the table, but it was a while. Now that you don't have that, I mean, we really could see if they wanted to, the Big Ten, the SEC could just kind of siphon off and say, we're going to play every year our conference tournaments, and then we're going to either decide we're the world champions because we won the Big Ten tournament, or we're going to say, let's team up with the SEC after we play our conference tournaments, and we'll do a Super Super Bowl between those two conferences, and then cut everybody else out if they want to. Right. I personally don't believe that'll ever happen. Well, if that what happens, that'll make yeah. If that happens, that'll make me really, really sad because then, then you, I think, then you've completely blown it up. And and at that point, honestly, you will see fandom subside. And I think that's what they have to be very, very careful about because the college football playoff is the key piece to all of this. No question. If everybody that's talking about they ruin tradition and they don't like the the, the way the regions are going to work out now because it's stupid to have West Coast schools playing in the Big Ten and all that, everyone will get over that with really good football as long as it feels like everybody's still playing for something big, like the college football playoff still matters. If it just feels like a big conference tournament, it will not work. And no, because you're still going to have um, national media, and you're still going to have a fan base of a let's use let's use Washington again as an example. Washington stays in the Pac-10, Pac-12, or whatever it's going to become, and they go 12 and 0. Um, they're going to say, "Hey, they won't play us, but we consider ourselves champs." I mean, it, you're going to have that that ringing out there too. So you're right; it won't it won't feel like even if it's the SEC versus Big Ten Super Bowl champion, it won't feel like they're the champion. It may for them, but it doesn't for everybody else. Well, people already are so fatigued with it's the same teams every year. It's Ohio State, it's Alabama, it's Georgia, it's Clemson. But you know the playing field going in, though. You know the parameters basically go. You well, really do. And it provided a year like last year with UC. Right. How fun was that storyline, not just locally, but from a national perspective, that you did have a disruptor and the team had that chance to get in. If you all of a sudden say, all those other teams, I mean, those other 80-something-odd teams – aren't even in play for the college football playoff at the end of the year, you are really going to get 
fan fatigue with the same storyline, the same teams year after year after year competing for a title that doesn't really feel like a title anymore. And if you do that, you will ruin the sport to some extent and lose some of the casual fans. Well, then, and then that will be a problem and, down and, the line. And you and I both know this, this deals mainly with football, but then what happens when you get to the NCAA basketball tournament, if these schools decide we're just going to do our own football, do the other schools go, well, then the hell with you. We don't want you in our, in our basketball tournament either. You guys go do your own basketball tournament. So I actually think that the NCAA tournament in basketball is fairly well protected here. No, I, I'm, but 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 again, if these two but if these two conferences and, and we're just surmising here, if they decide to secede in a way and just hold their own thing, maybe the rest of the schools say, "Listen, that's fine. You guys, you guys are your own entity now. We're, we're, we'll cut you out of the other thing." Yeah, but here's the issue with that: money. All of a sudden, you take the NCAA tournament from what's what's it make nine hundred million or six hundred million that the NCAA divides out to all these schools. And you cut that down significantly mm, to a much I, smaller do number. Do you? Yeah. I mean, the NCAA tournament without the Big Ten and the SEC is not going to draw anywhere near. And the problem for them is I don't they, know if they wanted to say, hey, we're doing away with the NCAA. We're running our own show here from a football perspective. When it comes to basketball time, we already have conference tournaments and they don't draw all that well. I mean. Yeah, Agreed. okay, okay. the Big Ten, SEC, you put them in Nashville, you have UK fans come down. Like, yeah, you'll get some people coming to it. But if that's the end-all, be-all, is, is those two conferences playing for a, a basketball title, it's not going to have near the popularity of the NCAA tournament. The NCAA tournament is almost perfect, and it's ran by the NCAA, and it's distributed to all these schools and keeps well, them going point. from that it, perspective. It, 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 you're right, and it is where football is not. The college football playoff is not run by the NCAA. Right. That's where the the, the the school, the other schools would say, listen, we'll just share the money among ourselves. The hell with the 38 teams in those two leagues. We don't need them. We'll still, honestly, I think it would still survive. It would still, it would suck not to see a Kentucky in it. It would suck not to see a Ohio State or Michigan State or whoever you want. But you know what? If I'm those schools and you're going to take me out of the football money portion of the program, to hell with you, I'll take you out of the money bas- portion of the basketball portion of it. Uh, it's cutting off your nose to spite your face mm, type maybe. situation there. You're, you're, you're missing out on so much money and not to mention what happens from a TV contract perspective when you do that, right? Like, will you even have, because the TV contracts are driving all of this and no it's question. TV contracts for football, but those roll into basketball, right? I mean, the, the, in terms of those TV contracts and the conference affiliations. So I mean, I just can't see them getting away with that and leaving all that money out there on the table and ruining the basketball tournament. And, and from that perspective, by the way, when you look locally, like if I'm Xavier in the Big East, I feel pretty good about everything right now from a basketball perspective because of what I just I don't think the NCAA tournament is going to get ruined. And the Big East is one conference that is pretty stable. Like if anything, the Big East stands to potentially gain one of these other big time programs down the line. Like if Gonzaga decides, Hey, we're left out in the cold here. We better join up with the basketball only conference. Or, I mean, some people have thrown out schools like Kansas even, which I I think that's a little far fetched, at least at this point, but you know, who knows, maybe down the line, they'll be in a Yukon type situation or maybe no one will really want their football program to join one of the bigger conferences and they will need somewhere else to go. So I think basketball is more stable than a lot of people feel but football wise i think everything is on the table and i think it's very possible that we end up losing the college football playoff as it's currently set because there's only a couple years left in that deal anyways and i don't know if we get another construct that's as good as 
what we've had in the past. Like it could be just those two conferences battling out or not even playing against each other. And they just say, Hey, we're the national champs because we won the SEC year. We're the yeah. national champs because we won the Big Ten. I, I would, I, I, I would I hope they have the foresight not to do that. Yeah, I, I just, I don't foresee that. I really don't. But I, I know your point. I, I, I think at that point, that people would be fatigued with it. And even if, listen, even if you're an undefeated Alabama and you just win the SEC, listen, you fans want to win everything, right? They want to win the. They, I don't think anybody would be satisfied in Alabama with just doing that. No, I totally agree. And that's why I think long term, if they screw up the college football playoff, they really will hurt the sport. All of the other stuff. I think, that they've, people, already, I think they've already hurt it. I mean, maybe to some extent, but like all the stuff that people talk about that they hate about this move. A lot of it amounts to like one off games where you get an upset or something. And yeah, that's fun. But ultimately, if you just end up with nothing but really good college football games, because let's be honest, if you've got a 20 something team conference, you're not playing these other schools. Like you're only, it's going to be like the COVID year where you're pretty much only playing your conference the whole season. You're playing nothing but SEC schools or nothing but Big Ten schools. Gosh, I, I, uh, and it's, it's brutal. I'll be honest with you. I'm not sure anybody in those conferences wants that. I really don't. I, I think it could be bad for them, to be quite honest. But if it's if it's all nothing but good games every Saturday and people can still bet on them and they can still tailgate and make it a social event on campuses, people are still going to go to those games. They're still going to enjoy them. In fact, the level and quality of play is going to be better. You're not going to have as many blowouts. I don't know. First I, few Saturdays. I, I think what you're going to end up having is a bunch of guys getting hurt because you're going to be playing bigger, faster, better players every single solitary week, button heads with them. You don't get the week off. I mean, the SEC right now has that week right before all their rivalry games at the end of the year that they call basically bye week, where they all play literally some bye game victory. It's just a chance after a grueling part of the schedule to take a deep breath, get yourself a win game, get yourself rested, and then play your rivalry game and then go to whatever bowl you're going to. I, I don't – boy, you play 12 of those head knockers? Who boy. Let's talk about the big reason why I don't think the college football playoff is going to get screwed up just yet. Notre Dame. What do you think happens with Notre Dame? I mean, if you look at the NBC contract, it looks like they stand to make so much more money joining one of these leagues and telling NBC to go pound sand when the time comes, doesn't it? It does. But I also don't think that they're in a rush to figure that out. I think they're content because they, they value their independence and doing yes, what they they've do. done for years and years. And I don't think they feel like they have to join anyone just yet while the current college football playoff contract is in place. And until Notre Dame joins one of these conferences, I think you will always have a college football playoff where there's room for Notre Dame to get in. Right. So whether that's an at-large type bid or if they just say we're taking eight teams and you have to be one of those those top teams based off strength of schedule and some other type of like a, like an RPI or a BCS type calculation, almost if that's what they go back to, I don't know. But like, I think at least the sec will always say there has to be a path for Notre Dame in because otherwise Notre Dame is just going to join the big 10. And we don't want that to happen because of these media rights agreements. So I think Notre Dame is really the key piece here. And I think they're going to take some time to make a decision And that might stabilize some of these other conferences for a little bit longer. But I mean, in the long term, I'd be real worried if I was an ACC fan. I'd be real worried if I was a a Big 12 fan. And I'd be worried if I was a Pac-12 fan, obviously, more than anything, because they may not make it to next year. And how about the guy that just got hired as their commissioner like a day or two before this, this thing all went down? 
I mean, they had to know that was coming, right? I guess. Yeah, you would think. I, I don't know, man. That was kept pretty damn quiet, was it not? Oh, definitely. There and were the, no the, leaks, no rumors, no nothing until it was. The, the Lincoln Riley part of this is maybe the funniest of it all. Yeah. I mean, he went out there for that opportunity to yep. have a chance to actually win fairly easily because that conference was right for the picking. And now he's in the middle of a Big Ten, despite being on the West Coast. And who knows how it's going to go from a recruiting perspective and all of those things. I get this is in summary, like as much as people say it's terrible, it is going to be fascinating to watch how this all develops. It is. I'm just the, the thing I love. I've always loved about Kai. I, I love tradition of college sports. That's why I don't like Oregon flipping uniforms around like crazy people. I like I hate when Kentucky wears the silver helmets. That's not part of the school colors. I don't know. I just I, I like all I like knowing the traditional rivalries. I always the thing I love about the Big East right now in basketball is the round robin schedule. The fact you play everybody twice. I, I used to love that. And that just, it's its no more, and it's just, I don't, I don't even know who, here's the other thing, too, you may even lose some rivalries along the way. I mean, is there going to be no more room for a Kentucky-Louisville game? Is there going to be no more room for, you know, pick your games if you, if you want? Is there going to be no more room on the schedule for some of those things? I If that happens, I'm really going to hate it. Yeah, that that is possible, and that's something you might lose. I mean, like the the uniform thing, you know, that's not, that's already been blown out of the water. I know, that's, that's already been I'm, I'm knowing you, that's me. Um, Like, the Rose Bowl has obviously been blown up as yeah, a result that sucks. of all this. That makes so me that's, sad. that's something that I know people aren't going to like much. The, the scheduling part of it is interesting because you would think the way they've always done these things where they'll have like scheduling alliances, like in basketball, for instance, the, the Big East Big 12 battle right, or right. the Gavit games between the Big East and the Big 10. Yeah, SEC Big 12 challenge. Yeah. You would think they'll continue doing stuff like that and they might set something like that up just for the variety of it. Or maybe they just say like, Here's rivalry and rivalry week, and everybody goes plays their regional rival for that one week or something like that. You would think they would find something to do to keep alive rivalries like a UK Louisville because of the money aspect of it. This is all about making money, no question. and those rivalries make them money. So I would think they'd be smart enough to find a way to work that out. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I sure hope that would be the case. And if that's the case, like, I don't think you're losing a whole, like, as much as people complain about, oh, it's getting destroyed. The, the one thing I will give you is the style of play. There's now no longer going to be the Pac-12 after dark. Oh, we're going to see a 65 to 54 game. And then the Big Ten game where it's going to be a slobber knocker with running the football. And the SEC is going to have all this crazy speed on the field and all this stuff like you're not going to have those very defined styles well, well, between the conferences anymore. Yes and no, though. And I will go back to the whole, if you do this kind of NFL style, um, you know, let's use USC and UCLA, for example. They're going to have to learn to play some of those games if they have to play at Minnesota in late November for whatever reason, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that's what you'll kind of have this um, sterilization of, the conferences because you only have to, they'll all have to kind of learn to play a similar way. You'll have to be able to do a little bit of everything. Someone will figure out the best way to do it. It'll be Ohio state and it'll be Alabama. And then everyone will try to do what they're doing to catch up to them is my guess. You know I mean? Like, I just don't think you'll have the PAC 12 was so different compared to way, the way the rest of the country was playing football the last several years, big 12 too, really, if we're being honest, that I don't think you'll have those stark contrasts when we get down to just two or three mega conferences. Yeah. I just, I don't think any of this is good for the sport. It's good for the schools financially. I just don't think any of it's good for the sport. And I, and I, you know, anecdotally, I look around at a lot of college games where there's not a ton of students, some of them. Yes, but not, not, 
very many of them, and it just makes me wonder does it start to dry up that the 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 age group that just says you know what enough's enough I just I'm not watching this anymore and then there's an age group that doesn't even care to begin with and I think we're getting close to there. I tend to think we're pretty far off still, and I think it on, that only really happens because here's the thing, Skinny: are college kids going to be any less likely to want to go out and drink all day on a Saturday? No, but but a lot of them don't go to games to do that. Yeah, but that's still a big time social event that surrounds it. Like, I don't think it's going anywhere unless they really screw up the college football playoff. And then long term, that has a trickle down impact through like just the lack of casual fans and all of that stuff. But I mean, we're probably two decades away from something like that happening. the, The one thing that will save it. And it always, always does, and always will. And now it saves it probably even more. Is legalized gambling is going to save it? Bingo. I mean, that, that, that's going to save the day. Yeah. I mean, just think of how enjoyable a Saturday is, even if you don't really care about the games going on. It's a, it's a social opportunity to hang out with guys at the bar and drink, or go tailgate and drink, and bet on games. And our country loves doing those things. So unless those things somehow evaporate. I don't think college football is going to cease to be popular. Our, our, our country and fan bases, they'll also like to crow about their, their, their team, right? They always do. And what if there's nothing really to crow about anymore? Well, there's certainly going to be less teams crowing in college football when you get down to these mega conferences. That's for sure. I mean, uh, there's remember, no way around that. Do you remember when Nebraska was really relevant? Yeah, and now <laughs> they're a complete afterthought. But boy, are they enjoying those checks from the Big Ten, aren't they? Yeah, they really are. I mean, Maryland to Maryland is just an absolute. I mean, you were just talking about the top of the podcast. Maryland could end up being relegated at some point in the future just because they stink at everything and they wanted to cash Big Ten checks. Yep. Not great. And it's not going to be great for some of these schools. I'm telling you, there's some of them that are going to become perennial losers for the rest of their history in sports, and their fan base is going to hate that this happened. Yep. But. Some president, an athletic director, and maybe a big donor was like, hey, it was 50 million more at the time. We had to take it. Yep. Like I said, sports is nothing but a giant cash grab anymore. Did you have any other thought? Well, to that point, I please quit telling me how NIL and players getting some money has screwed up college athletics. I don't want to hear that from anybody else. If you're going to say as the presidents that we're moving USC and UCLA into the Big Ten, the, the players making $10,000 off NIL deals is not the issue. No, I would agree with it. I'm, 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 I'm fully on board with that part of it. I just, my, my head is spinning with, with, with just the whole, again, money grab from everybody. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, it's hypocritical for anybody involved in college athletics to look at a kid and say, no, you can't take that deal. Yeah, well, I mean, they're all talking about how all oh, the transfer portal and NIL is really destabilizing our sport. We've got to figure this out. It's like, no, 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 no. Your presidents and your athletic directors and your big donors are destabilizing your sport Correct. and ruining it. It's Correct. not the kids getting an average of $10,000 a piece. Yeah. There's a couple kids that they get these mega deals and they get all the headlines. Most of the most of the guys aren't getting that. As I told you, I, I just I predict within five years that dries up significantly. I think there's a good chance it might. All right, anything else on co- conference realignment here before we move on to some? No, because stuff? because like I like I said before, by the time you're you're editing this again today, something else is going to happen. It just that that feels like it's the 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 thing that's taking place. Yeah, and and I mean, I legitimately think we're truly at the. We'll listen to any idea. We'll take any call. 
we have no idea what's next stage of this. I think everything is on the table still. Agreed. All right, Skinny, at the exact midway point of their season, the Reds are 28 and 53. They're two and five since we last spoke. I've got a specific question about what's going on with the team now, but before God we get love into that, you for com- God love you for coming up with one. <laughs> before we get to that, do you think the Reds can avoid losing 100 games now? As no, we sit no. here, they're past the midway point at 53 yeah, losses. Yeah, and if you want to just double up on the math of that, that's 56 and 106. Now, granted, the 3-22 and 22 start, take that out of the equation. It's obviously not quite that bad, but it's still pretty damn bad. It's still a team that's played well below 500 baseball. No, because I, 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 I don't see this team having any way to avoid losing 100 games. I mean, I, I don't find answers. Yeah, can you get Tyler Stevenson back? Sure, but are you going to guarantee me Jonathan Indy is going to start hitting again? I would hope. I hope this is just a, a minor sophomore slump halfway through the season for a guy that keeps getting hit by pitches. You're going to guarantee me that Joey Votto is going to snap out of this? He hasn't yet. I mean, you're going to guarantee, guarantee me you're still going to have some of your better players on your correct. roster? Yeah, I mean, there, there's no way Brandon Drury's on this roster by the end of this month. At least one of the two pitchers. Uh, there's a part of me that thinks they stashed Tyler Malley on the IL just to make sure he's healthy enough to make that one or two starts after the All-Star break, crossing their fingers that he's great, and then deal him too. Um, so they're going to expose him less. That's is, I think this is all this is about. And, and so, yeah, no, I this team is destined to lose. I Hell, I said it back in April. This team was destined to lose 100 games. That, that's actually what I wanted to ask you about was Tyler Malley. He got placed on the 15-day injured list with a shoulder strain. He was set to start Thursday today as we're recording this. The team hasn't said when he's going to be back exactly, but the earliest he'd be able to return is two weeks prior to the August 2nd trade deadline. Malley said that an MRI revealed only irritation, no structural damage, and he said it's not concerning at all. He plans to return shortly after the All-Star break. So take me through that. You think the Reds right now are a little worried about some fatigue here possibly and say, hey, rest up and we'll get you one really good start before we trade you away? Yes, I do. I, I truly believe that. And, and you know, that's where they have the MRI. As, as he mentioned, it's just it shows a little minor irritation. Sure, I'm sure that, that does show have some discomfort when he pitches, but a couple of weeks of rest uh, will we'll hopefully cure that for that one. It, it's like it, it's an old episode of the Andy Griffith Show when the old lady sells Barney a car and uses sawdust to stick it in the gear shift to make it run, run good enough for Barney to buy the car. This is kind of what this is. This is a... Hey, there's really nothing really bad here. There's no structural damage, so teams don't have to freak out that, hey, he went on the IL and he's damaged goods. Just a little minor rest. Then, again, you are crossing your fingers that he has a good start when he comes back, but, uh, you know, hopefully a well-rested Tyler Malley does that, a couple of really good starts, and voila, you deal him. I, I, I fully believe that's all this is. But aren't you worried about that tanking his value at all, putting him on the, the injured list right before you are trying to trade him off? Yes and no, because I go back to, again, they did the MRI. It showed no structural damage. Uh, a little minor fatigue for a pitcher is nothing. I mean, it is what it is. Truth be told, he probably could pitch through it if, if he had to, but why risk him getting bombed when he's not feeling 100%? Get him 100%, show other teams he's 100%, and yeah, there is a risk for that team making the trade, but I think that's all it's about. It, listen, if he's if he's got a little discomfort, do you want to get him to go out there and get bombed two more times before the All-Star break and then really decrease his value? Or do you want to showcase him for two really good starts after the All-Star break before the trade deadline? No, that's a fair point. I just, I just think if you're trying to get maximum value, you're worried about putting him I'm on the injured list right before you're trading. But I, I agree. I'm, if he if he sucks right before it, it doesn't help you either. I was going to say, I'm more worried about him getting his doors blown off again. Yeah, I mean, I, I get that point. I just, I would think, you know, the, the kind of go-to a lot of times before you're about to unload a guy is, 
use them all the way up, try to put as much as possible out there on film for people to evaluate and hope it holds together and he falls apart for the next team. But you're right. I mean, if he never gets to that point, then you can't trade him anyway. So I'm just way, curious, back- it feels like the Reds don't feel like they're getting much in return for Tyler Malley at this point, I guess, is where I'm headed. Yeah, back back to your initial question about the 100 losses. The Reds would have to go 35 and 46 the rest of the way to finish with 99 losses. Yeah, I don't see that happening, quite I honestly. Even, I don't, if everything went right, I don't see that happening. Yeah, and I would, ho- again, I am hoping that they're going to be able to trade not just Tyler Malley, but also Luis Castillo. Right. Yeah. I mean, and Brandon Drury is going to probably be your only all-star. You ain't doing better without those guys. So they they were all good enough to get you to 28 and 53. I just can't see this team turning it around in the second half of the season, especially when you start to get to the end of the year and guys are taking games off or not playing, wrapping it up because they've got some type of slight pool or what, what have you. They're just cashing in, getting ready for vacation and rehabbing for next year. I just can't see these guys carrying it all down at the end of the year. I will say if there has been a bright spot of late and it probably is going to flame out just because of his history, Nick Senzel is actually playing pretty well. Oh, so interestingly, I was noticing that he put on some weight. We, I think we've got chubby Nick Senzel and I think it's helped. I think it, I've always said baseball players, if they're fat guys should be fat. Nick Senzel was never a fat guy. But maybe deep down he had it in inside of him, and maybe this is what he needs to stay healthy. You remember hey. Jonathan Broxton back in the day? Oh, absolutely. He well, came no. over, and they said, we're going to try to get him into better shape. He worked out for like three days, and he got injured. And then immediately they let him balloon up to like 350 pounds again, and he was fantastic. Oh, I think there's a lot of truth to that, Rick. I, I mean, I know you've got this little tongue-in-cheek, but I truly believe there's, there's, a, there's a chunk of this, that these two guys are too finely finely tuned. I'll use the great John Crook line from many years ago uh, when he was stretching in the outfield one day, slobbering a hot dog, and some some woman yelled at him, aren't you an athlete? He goes, no, ma'am, I'm not an athlete. I'm a baseball player. Exactly. Like, there, there's so few instances where you have to be exerting yourself for an extended period in the game of baseball. It's all just like a lunge here, a 90-foot sprint there. Every now and then, you got to go two bases if you're a big guy. But like you can be fat and be a really good baseball player. We see uh, him all the time. Tony Gwynn was a was a great base runner with all the girth that that man had. Right. So I I think Fat King Nick Senzel is here, and he's taken. I think he might finally reach his potential as a chubby guy. I hope so. I mean, I I will say it's been a, one of the rare bright spots of late. Well, and honestly, he's tried everything else. Why right. not just let yourself go completely and say, yeah. hey, maybe maybe finally I'll stay healthy or at least. I'm not working so damn hard just to get injured again. Yeah, no, right. All right, let's switch gears here. The Bengals head into the start of training camp in three weeks in great shape, but a few questions still linger. You wrote about five of them, and that column can be viewed right now on Local 12. Let's run through these real quick. You just give me your your thoughts on each one of them, and and if you want to dive in deeper, we can. Number five was, is there really a competition at long snapper and punter? Take me through this. Yeah, I mean, obviously they got a, an extra long snapper, Cal Adamitis, and they've, they've got Drew Chrisman, an extra punter that they're going to take to training camp. It looks like a competition. You know, they're, they're mad at Clark Harris, right, because of the Super Bowl stuff. But Which yeah, is just insane. It is, it, and everybody's gotten over it. And I've gone back to this, I've because I've t- a couple writers have talked about the competition, and I'm like, I've looked at them in the eye go, do you really think in game one, you're down at the five-yard line against Pittsburgh, whatever, just pick a yard line you're against Pittsburgh, you're, you're down a point, 
Are you really going to trust undrafted free agent guy snapping to unproven holder guy with 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 the game on the line? No, not for a Super Bowl caliber team. You're going to trust a guy who's never had an unplayable snap, never had an unplayable snap on a punt or placement kick, and a guy who last year, while he wasn't great in the playoffs punting it, and I think there was a little fatigue there, that he still averaged 46.4 yards a punt, a yard more than his, his average, and he's a great holder to boot. You tell me who you're going to trust, Rick. It's not even a it's not even a decision to be made. I Correct. think it's silly that they're even trying to act like they're mad at Clark yeah, Harris. I, yeah, and I think the whole Kevin Huber, Drew Christman thing is really, you know, does Kevin eventually hit the wall at his age and we just want to have a backup plan just I mean, if let's just say Kevin just has a terrible training camp and Drew proves he can hold and he held a little bit at Ohio State, because this is part of it too. They they've talked about they they don't want to use a position player to hold because they can't get enough work in because that position player's got to go through regular practice. So they always want it to be the punter, and that's fine. Um, you know, if, if that's the case, then maybe Drew Crispin beats out Kevin, but I, I just I don't see it. I, one thing Darren Simmons likes is he likes consistent people. It's why you didn't like Alex Erickson as a punt returner, but he caught the ball. And Trent Taylor doesn't do much dynamically, but he catches the ball. And so to me, he's going to take consistency over everything else, and these guys are consistent. Which undrafted free agent has the best chance to make the team? Yeah, and I wrote that I don't even think all the draft picks make the team. Like, poor Jeff Gunter, who was drafted in the last round. I mean, let's not forget Joseph Osai's back and and uh, and Wyatt Hubert from last year who got hurt is 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 back in the mix. So I don't even know if all the all the, the draft picks make the team. And I wrote, I don't even think any undrafted guys make it. But if there is, my two candidates would be Kwame Lasseter, a wide receiver who did some nice things in, in OTAs, but he's going to have to show he can return punts on a consistent basis and catch it on a consistent basis. And then I just listed Devin Cochran, who's an offensive tackle, just because they they really aren't very deep there. It's Isaiah Prince and Deontay Smith are the only other two tackles on the roster uh, behind the starters. And so, by default, Devin Cochran might have a chance to, to make this team. So, yeah, I, I I don't think any of them make it, but but Lassiter, if he shows he can return punts, probably is the best candidate. Well, your point about offensive linemen and the lack of depth here takes us into the third storyline to watch, and that's Will the team fill the two open spots on the training camp roster? Yeah, I asked Zach that at the very that press conference right before we 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 broke for the for the uh, I guess the break here in the summertime before training camp, and he he made a point of it gives us flexibility if something pops up in camp to to go find a veteran. I, I there's a part of me that thinks that they need to bring another tackle in um, for the reason I just said. You know, Riley Reef is still out there, uh, believe it or not. Um, you know, and I'm sure there's a couple other tackles kicking around. And I think they leave the other spot open that if something happens to one of the big three wide receivers in camp, God forbid, that then they'd have to go get a, a proven veteran um, because that person would have to come in and start. And I just don't see starting material in Mike Thomas or Stanley Morgan or Trent Irwin or Trent Taylor. They're nice backups. They're all special teams pieces and all those things. Um, and they're not going to take snaps if the big three are healthy anyway. So I, I, I think they fill one of those spots, in my opinion, before camp with a veteran tackle, and then they leave the other one open. But they could leave them both open, and if something happens, then they, they do have the flexibility, as Zach said, to go to go fill those spots. Skinny, will Jackson Carmen win the left guard spot? And if not, who will? That's the that's the biggest one, right? Um, they've obviously plugged him there and said it's your job to lose. They put him with the first team. They did reps with the first team, even though they don't like to call it first team reps because they're just doing things on air. There was no contact, no anything. We're really not going to know it until we see him going up live against guys across from him in, in training camp and in preseason games. If he doesn't do it, then it's 
Cordell Volson's job, and you're asking a fourth-round rookie who was a tackle in college to make a hell of a quick transition to being your starting left guard. And I think they have to make a decision on either one of those guys very quickly. And if not, I mentioned in the in the piece, I mean, Quentin Spain's still out there. And while, you know, I know he isn't great, he was serviceable. And he probably arguably last year was maybe their best offensive lineman overall. Finally, the last question here on this list was, Will Jesse Bates get an extension or will he sign under the franchise tag? A topic we've talked about a lot on this podcast. Yeah, I'm going to stick to my guns on that and, and did. I I don't think he's going to get the extension, especially with Minka Fitzpatrick's contract, especially with what the agents are asking. Um, you know, he went, he went with a new agent, obviously, um, who I'm going to guess has promised him the moon. And so he's going to stick to his guns. The Bengals are going to stick to theirs. I think part of it is I think the Bengals have never intended to to, to want to pay Jesse Bates top dollar, and that's fine. I I've, I've backed them on that. I've got no. I don't. I just don't consider safety a big position of 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 overpaying guys. Um, and I do think, and I've said this, he's not walking away from thirteen million dollars this year, in my opinion. I it, there's just no way. So he may not sign it. Uh, the deadline for them to come up with an extension is is a week from this Friday. It's July the fifteenth. Um, I wouldn't freak out if he doesn't sign the franchise tag then. I, I, it'll probably go up to the start of training camp, but I don't think he's going to miss camp. I don't think he's going to, to, to risk getting fined. I think he's going to eventually swallow hard, tell his agent, I'm playing under this tag even though you may not like it, and then let's go get our money after this year. It won't be here in Cincinnati. Yeah. The Bengals didn't like the price tag before some right. of these other safety deals got done. The right. price tag has only gotten bigger since this conversation started. It ain't yeah, happening right. now. That's right. SkinnySportsBetting.ag released more than 60 running back props for individual statistical totals. We talked about the quarterbacks last week. This week, they've got the running backs up. Rushing yards and rushing touchdowns are available for nearly every running back in the league. Let's look at Joe Mixon's totals for the over-under total rushing yards. They've got Mixon at 1,100 and a half yards. Last year, he had 1,205 yards over 16 games. Yeah, because, of course, he did not play that last game either, so factor that into the 16 games of it. Um, I I think the over-boring injury is a cinch. Um, I couldn't agree more. I, we think he's going to have a better year than last year. I think he's going to have the best year of his career. I, I, I fully believe that. I think he's going to – I think he's got a chance to be a 1,400, 1,500-yard rusher depending on how many touches he gets uh, because I think – I'll go back to I think this team is going to have a chance to play from ahead more often in the fourth quarter, which means you go into, you know, five-minute offense mode, which is run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. And it's not going to be him 30 times a game every game. Um, you know, I, I saw a piece where somebody talked about that uh, to try to bring in um, uh, a free agent running back. I'm drawing a blank on it from the Giants. They, I, I, Devontae Booker. Um, because it said that, you know, the Bengals put a lot on Joe Mixon's tires last year. And I, I thought they did, but they didn't overwork him. And the years leading up to last year, they kind of underworked him. So I think Joe Mixon's got a ton left on those tires. So I, I think he's going to get, I thought last year he'd average 25 touches a game. He didn't. And that includes in the past game. I think this year he comes much closer to averaging 25 touches a game. And, and I think he goes way above that total barring injury. Now, granted, this is just rushing yards. It's not total combined yards. But again, last year, he had over 1,200 yards in 16 games. And there's no guarantee that'll play all 17 games this year. But you're asking him to get 100 less yards, 105 less yards. We're only talking about an average of 69 yards a game that he would need to get this. It's very easy with this Bengals team because of how positive we are and, you know, about their future and, and where they're at right now after last year to look at all of these preseason over-under numbers and go, 
over, 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 because we think all these guys are going to be great. And we kind of talked about that last week with the, the quarterback numbers and the receiver numbers. Like at some point, these guys are going to vulture some of these stats away from each other. But when you look at Joe Mixon and you're asking him to get 69 yards a game this year with an improved offensive line, it's hard for me. I, this is my favorite one that we've talked about so far in terms of preseason over under numbers. Yeah, and, and there's been some open conversations from from the offensive staff and even from Joe Burrow about trying to to, to be better at driving the football instead of relying so much on, on the big play. That means you're trying to get yourself in better down and distance circumstances. You're hoping the offensive line keeps you from being in third and 13 because Joe Burrow got sacked on second down. You get in a handful more third and twos, third and ones. Who's getting the touches then? Well, hopefully not Samaj P. Ryan, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but it's Joe Mixon, right? So it just right. it feels like that, that. Just feels like it's almost a slam dunk gimme if he stays healthy. Agreed. I love. I mean, I love that number. I'm surprised it was that low, especially when you see where he's at in terms of odds for most rushing yards in the NFL. Uh, but first, total rushing touchdowns. They have that number set at ten and a half for Mixon. Last year, he had thirteen and sixteen games. Yeah, I'm going to go way over again. In fact, I, I think he's going to have a chance because. I think they want to be more efficient running the ball in the red zone. They have a great chance to do that with a better offensive line. I'll predict that he's damn close to that by the bye week. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I think 16, 17 touchdowns, one a game is is right Agreed. in line with what I'd Agreed. expect out of him. Agreed. Quite honest. So last year, 13 was like probably a little lower than I would have expected uh, to drop that number to 10 and a half. Again, unless they're bringing in some running back to share carries that we're not aware of, uh, I like both of these numbers for Joe Mixon. Yeah, I do too. I thought I, I I glanced at those a little bit yesterday and thought, man, this this just seems so low. Then we have most rushing yards for the regular season for the NFL. The uh, lowest odds on that list is Jonathan Taylor, four to one. You got Derrick Henry at nine to two, Dalvin Cook at ten to one, and then Joe Mixon and Najee Harris, along with Nick Chubb, are next in line, tied for fourth at fourteen to one odds. What do you think about that? I like the Najee Harris bet. Um, P- Pittsburgh's done a good job to to upgrade their offensive line. Um, are you really going to, you know, they relied a lot on Ben, obviously, and, and you know, Ben just didn't have it the last couple of years. I, I don't think they're going to rely on Mitch Trubisky or Kenny Pickett to throw it 35, 40 times a game, which means they're going to run the ball as much as they can run the ball. And that means a lot of Najee Harris. And damn, is he good. I You know, he's a stealer, and you hate to say it if you're a Bengals fan. But he's really, really good. I like the odds for him at 14 to 1. I think Jonathan Taylor probably is the winner. So I'd probably hedge my bet on that and give Jonathan Taylor a little bit of love. I think the Derrick Henry injury last year scares me that he, you know, he gets hurt again this year. Um, so yeah, I'd probably put a little bit on the favorite. The, the four to one is not obviously a chalky favorite. That's a pretty good price, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, getting Derrick Henry at nine to two, four and yeah, a half to one. I just, I, just, I just fear, you know, once you get hurt, it feels like you keep getting hurt, especially when you have as much tread on the tires as he does, because they have just run him to death over the last few years. I love Derrick Henry. I mean, when he's healthy, he's the best running back in football. But I think I'd put a little bit of money on both Jonathan Taylor and, and then Najee Harris at 14 to one. I agree. I look, I agree with everything you just said about Derrick Henry, but I also know that he plays for a good franchise that is obsessed with running football. No doubt. No so, question. I mean, he's going to get as much opportunity or more than anybody else on this list to get him at, as, you know, almost the favorite. He's four and a half to one instead of four to one is, is pretty darn good odds. I would I would be interested in that to some extent, but I'm with you. The Najee Harris at 14 to one, I think is a, a pretty good option there. I don't think Joe Mixon is going to lead the NFL no, in rushing because there's just too many weapons on this Correct. team. Correct. I, and I agree with that part, even though I, I think the slam dunk for the over, et cetera. I just, 
the, the leader's going to have 1,600 plus yards, and I don't see him approaching that territory. Agreed. All right, Skinny, let's get into some Ask Skinny Anything here. We've got uh, a handful of questions to get to today. And we'll start with conference realignment. Let's go back to that. Sure. Uh, the first question was, with conference realignment taking place in the NCAA, when it's all said and done, which conference will be the best conference in college football and which conference will be the best conference in college basketball? It's still going to be hard to usurp the SEC in college football, right? I mean, adding Oklahoma and Texas, and you know Texas is going to pump as much money into being competitive. I, I don't even see anybody being close to the SEC. I'm sorry I don't. Agree or disagree? I think that's right. Uh, it would I mean, because in theory, even if you're going to like if Clemson and Florida State and some of those schools are going to leave the ACC, where's the most likely destination? It's the SEC. They're not going to the Big Ten, I don't think. So, I mean, mean, if even even from that perspective, like you think, oh, what what, what is Clemson going to do? Could they shift the power? I don't think so. In fact, I think it's more likely that somewhere down the line, a school like Ohio State leaves the Big Ten and goes to the SEC because they're more aligned with the Alabamas and Clemsons of the world. Uh, so I, I'm with you. I think it's hard to think that it won't be the SEC at the end of the day, regardless of how this all shakes down in college football. Yeah, college basketball is interesting because you've seen some rise in some SEC teams. Texas and Oklahoma have had their certain levels of success. I do obviously understand the Big Ten adding UCLA, which is a traditional power, and mix take them to a Final Four year in recent vintage, and they seem to be on the clear uptick. I don't know what value USC adds, to be honest with you, from a basketball perspective, but I, I guess I'll lean, I'll lean Big Ten. I think I think it's definitely, if nothing else, just the sheer number of schools that are going to have a chance to be really good. It's going to be hard to hard for it not to be the top conference every year. I would think in terms of like Ken Palm number or whatever. Uh, One thing that adding those schools out West does help with from a basketball perspective, even more than a football, because I think recruiting pipeline. Yeah. Yeah. I think football is a little more national already. If there's a five-star quarterback, he understands that Ohio state or Clemson might be the place to go. Right. Or Alabama. In basketball, I don't think that happens quite as much. But all of a sudden, if you are a kid that's in that UCLA, USC footprint, and you're going to be traveling to the Big Ten country anyways, at least you know, hey, once a year I get to go back home out to the West Coast, or twice a year I get to go back home out to the West Coast to play in front of my family and friends. You might be more interested in committing to a a Midwestern school and playing in the Big Ten or or something like that. So uh, I, I think it... It could impact. It could have a bigger impact in basketball recruiting than it does in football recruiting, honestly. And in that case, again, I think the Big Ten would be hard to beat. Yeah, Rick, and you made the point. Um, the the kid that Sean Miller added to his staff with the pipeline to that, right? Yeah, actually, b- both of the coaches, Adam Cohen, uh, came from Stanford. He has some big yeah, connections yeah. out on that side, and then David Miller, who was with him at Arizona and then was at San Jose State, is definitely a California guy. So uh, Xavier is trying to get in on that that West Coast pipeline a little bit right now. Yep. All right, Skinny, rank the Reds' ownership groups from worst to first. <laughs> um, is, it, is it in, like, the Marge Shot era, before Marge Shot era? Where are we going with this? I mean, how many ownership groups have the Reds had? Do we know? Well, there was the DeWitt ownership group in the 60s that gave away Frank Robinson. Um, there was the conglomerate kind of that owned them through, the, through parts of the 70s. Um, I can't remember if that was the Taft group. I, I I lose my groups after a while. 
I'll, I'll go from Marge through through Lindner through Castellini. Let's just rank yeah. those three, shall we? All right. So, in the, starting with 1930, we you had Sydney Wild Whale, something like yeah, that for three um, years. Um, I wrote a piece last week, Rick, the five worst Reds teams in history, and, and kind of where this team ranked. And I really don't have them in the in the bottom five yet. They were obviously trending that way, and probably will trend towards it. But three of the five listed are from the 1930s. So let's just say that ownership group probably wasn't very good. Yeah, and this guy was on the verge of bankruptcy, and Central Trust Bank took over the franchise in November of 1933. Okay. And okay. then Powell Crosley bought him in 1934 and was there until 1961. And yeah, then Powell Crosley into- obviously um, knew what he was doing in a lot of ways, and they won two World Series uh, under his his ownership group. Um Okay, so we'll, so after Powell Crosley, where are we at? Bill DeWitt was there from yeah. 61 yeah. to 66. Yeah, Bill DeWitt will never be forgiven for giving away Frank Robinson for Milt Pappas. Sorry. Francis Dale then took it over from 67 to 73. Yeah, that's the kind of the big red machine. I'm going to have to rank the Francis Dale one. It's pretty high up there. Then Lewis I mean, Nippert took over from 73 to 80. Yeah, that, that didn't end well um, either, so... Um, I'm going to go the Fran because the Francis Dale group then laid some of the pipeline for what became the big red machine teams that uh, then, then the Nipper group could take a little bit of, of, of credit for. Then you had William James and what, well, wait, no, you had, Oh, this is incredible. William Williams. Yes. And that's James right. Williams. Well, that's, that's, 80 Dick, to 84. Yeah, that's Dick Williams family. The former GM's family. William yeah. Williams is just incredible. They're, they're still, I think they're still minority owners if I'm not mistaken. I mean, does he go by Bill Williams or does people Willie. do people call him William Williams? I call him Willie. Willie Williams. Willie Squared. What's up, Willie Squared? That's sweeter than apple butter. I love that. Uh, Marge shot then from 84 to 99, Lindner from 99 to 2005, and Castellini from 2006 to now. All right. So the 30s guys got to be at the bottom of that of that, of that that totem pole. Yeah. Lindner's next. Lindner's next. Lindner did absolutely nothing for this franchise. In fact, I could argue he's the one that dug the hole that we're in today. The Castellini boasted he was going to get us out of and hasn't done so yet. So I'm going to put Castellini then third from the bottom. I think Lindner deserves to be over Castellini simply for bringing Griffey home, if nothing else. Yeah, that was more a Jim Bowden production. And that still wasn't a very good trade. No, it's, it ended up being terrible. But <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to put Castellini over Lindner. Lindner just didn't care. Um, Castellini cares. He just doesn't know what he's doing. You know, Marge's Marge's tenure was she did some good things, and I feel like I'm quoting her quoting Hitler here. She did some good things, but you know, she was just so screwed up, and then she got rid of the scouts because all they do is watch games, and that didn't work out so well. So I'm gonna put her next on the bottom from the the bottom. So I'm gonna go the Francis Dale group, followed by followed by Powell Crosley, followed by um I guess, the, yeah, Nippert and then the Willie Squared group. <laughs> All right. That was, that was good. That was a nice little trip down there. I've never done a deep dive on Red's ownership group go. going back to the 30s. Yep. So, uh, All right. We talked about the most disrespectful thing a ref said to you that we forgot to mention last week. I'm glad yes. you got to that. Uh, another question we had was, rank the following game shows in terms of how great they were. And this is a long list, so bear with me here. Okay. Hollywood Squares. I'm going to write these down, at least in my own hieroglyphics. Go ahead. I got it. Hollywood Squares. Win, lose, or draw. Okay. Card Sharks. Okay. Sale of the Century. Sale of the Century is awful. Tic-tac-doe. Love Tic-tac-doe. Studs. I don't remember studs. 
love connection. A love connection with Chuck Chuck Woolery. The newlywed game. Yeah, that was so good. It was bad. It was so bad. It was good. Keep going. $25,000 pyramid. Oh, love me the pyramid. Name that tune. Love me some name that tune. I can name that tune in three notes. Press your luck. Okay. And classic concentration. All right, I've written them all down. I, I'm going to go from worst to first, okay? All right. Still the centuries at the bottom. No, thank you. Studs, I don't know. So I, I guess I'm going to have to go incomplete on studs. Can you explain Sale of the Century just a bit? I have no idea what that is. It it, it was just a it, it was a stupid show. Was all what it was. I just didn't. It was it, it it was a black and white jobby. I didn't like it. Okay. Um, I didn't like Card Sharks much either. Um, win, lose, or draw. Yeah, man, that's a tough one. I, I, let me go. Uh, let me go. Best to worst, then it's probably easier that way. Best for me is twenty five thousand dollar pyramid. Uh, that which actually then became the hundred thousand dollar pyramid. Um. It just, it, it was, it was one you could play along with and it just, the, the tension of it, it was just, I love that show. And plus it was, it was a show that Marky Post would come on in leather pants and you just, it was a can't miss episode when our Marky Post in leather pants. Shout out to Marky Post, friend of the podcast. Friend of the podcast, no question. So I'm going to put that one first. Hollywood Square is number two. It's just so classic. Um, uh, Paul Lynn in the center square. There's nothing better than Paul Lynn in the center square. I'll go that one too. I kind of liked win, lose, or draw. I'll go that one. Three. Four, the newlywed game. Like I said, it was so bad. It was good. Bob Eubanks was a great host. And instead of using the term making love or having sex, they would use the term when you make whoopee. Nice. That was one of the questions. Where is That's this where that place you made whoopee? I, that was great. That was number four. Classic concentration I love. I'll go five there. The rest of them I can throw into to some mixes. Um, card Sharks I didn't like a whole lot. So Tic-Tac-Doe, I'll put six. I like that one. Love Connection was just so stupid. But, but yeah, that's down at the bottom, too. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Actually, ahead of Hollywood Squares, it would go $25,000 Pyramid. Name that tune, then Hollywood Squares. Name that tune. I, I wish they'd bring that back. As much as we have, like, the, 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 the voice and America's Got Talent and all those, I'm telling you, man, when you had to bid on... I can name that tune in seven notes. I can name that tune in six notes. I can name that tune in five notes. Name that tune, Rick Brewing. And then you hear doot, 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 and nobody would know what the tune was. It was great. Or somebody would get it off of one or two or three notes. Here's what I don't understand is how is there no prices right on this list? How well, is there well no, I like all, these, all these shows for the most part are now defunct. The price is right is still going strong. So is let's make a deal. So this all this had to be all old school stuff here yeah. is the point it yeah, couldn't, I think, couldn't be wheel um, of fortune it couldn't be i mean even though those are classics at this point i think pressure luck is actually now coming back in prime time on abc i think i saw a commercial for it with the whammy yeah no whammies i do, I do remember pressure luck it was on like you know the game show network or whatever they had on cable with the old school stuff i don't yeah. know this this one this makes me feel young reading this question because i don't know like half of these shows this person everyone doesn't they don't have one of my other favorite shows on there as well password I don't know that one either. Oh, Password's awesome. I'm, you know who was really good at Password? Betty White in the day was <laughs> terrific at Password. What What is Betty White not good at? That's a good point. That's a very good point. Well, currently living. She's not good at living anymore, yeah, but she's she good gone. at everything. I have never heard of Sale of the Century. I've never heard of Tic-Tac-Doe. I've never heard of Studs. Yeah, I've never, Studs is the one I've never heard of. And I've never heard of Classic Concentration. Well, Classic Concentration was awesome, too. So, 
All right, Skinny, when you know dinner and drinks are being dinner or drinks are being paid for, do you order more expensive than usual? So that, that's the thing. I, I don't. And I, I just had my guy, Paul Daner Jr. have to pay off a, a, a NFL bet where he t- took me to the precinct and it was all on him. And, you know, I wasn't even going to order a cock because part of this is we actually have the bet chopped up in different phases. But because of covid and we weren't able to get we all decided this year we're gonna it's it's all inclusive that whoever won the other one would have to pay for the whole thing so usually we have the bet and we did it for this year we've already done it we have four different ones one is for the uber ride so if we want to get wasted we can you know certainly drive responsibly or have somebody drive us responsibly one is for uh apps and 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 cocktails prior to dinner one is for the dinner and the other one is for after dinner drink and cigar um or dessert and or all of that at, at the end so um, I almost felt guilty, but then he ordered a cocktail. And he said, "I owe you get a cocktail," and I and I tried to get a a, a cocktail I was gonna like. I didn't just want to get a cocktail that I looked at the ingredients of and wasn't gonna get. So I got a a, a bourbon flavored cocktail, and um, I tried to keep it on the on the kind of medium priced end of things. I felt guilty almost. Yeah, I'm more I'm more so on that route. I would say I would probably order cheaper than usual. Yeah, I, if someone else is buying it. For yeah, I, me. I, I didn't go the cheap. I mean, if I was gonna go cheap, I would order a you know. a bottle of Bud Light or something, but I'm at the precinct, man. I ain't getting a Bud Light at the precinct. Sorry. I'm, I'm, I am getting a cocktail and I, and for the wine, um, I got a house red. I didn't go crazy on a, on a couple of glasses of wine. So did he. Um, in fact, he found a house blend and he said, you're, you're a red wine guy, right? I said, yeah. I said, usually cabs. And I looked, I'm like, man, the cabs are expensive. He goes, well, this is house blend. And I took a sniff of it. I'm like, well, that's, that, that'll be fine. And it was very medium, medium to, to cheap price. And I was fine with that. I, again, I felt guilty. Yeah, I would say you're even a a different spot there because it was a bet you had won. Like if I won a bet, then, yeah, I'm getting my I'm getting what you owe me out of it. I'm thinking like, you know, the, the, the situation where someone's picking up the tab for you and you know they're picking up the tab for you. But there's no real reason for, you know, like someone's just being nice or maybe it's someone that like you you work for or something like that. Then I I usually feel weird about or if I'm with someone else's family and it's like, oh, they're going to pay for it all. That is kind of a, I usually, I would say order on the cheaper side than the more expensive side. See, I kind of feel better when toward like the end of the night's almost there and you tell the people you're with, Hey, I got you guys tonight. That way they they don't have to feel guilty. They've already indulged in what they've indulged in and you've decided I'm going to pick up the tab. Totally. Yeah. I mean, that is how you do it. You don't tell people if it's, if it's like a thing like that, where you're just going to pay for the group without anyone knowing that going in, you don't tell them before they've ordered. I mean, you tell them after they've eaten already and it's done and the, the check comes. Yeah, I mean, sure. even the steak I got, I got a, a nice New York strip, mind you. I wasn't, you know, it's hard to cheap out on a steak at the precinct, right? But he got his top burrow style, which is kind of a lobster Creole sauce, which was just, I took a little pinky finger of it. It was out of this world, but I didn't even do anything to top my steak, which was going to be another 15 to 20 bucks. He did. It was his, it's his money. He can do with it what he, what he wants, right? Oh, yeah, but one like, of you had to do the burrow situation too, you guys he, being he, Bengals writers. He did. He did the burrow. And it, it looked fabulous, and he said it was fabulous. But I'm like, I just I don't want to charge you an extra 15 when I really just came here for the steak. I didn't come here for any of the top of it. I came here for the steak. Yeah, no, I get it. So I think we've answered that one sufficiently. Uh, yeah. Final question here. Would you rather? <laughs> I, one, love would you rather. I, I love the would you rather questions, and this is as off the wall as, as any that we've had. Okay. Uh, one time per year, get mauled by a lion while walking to your car, not knowing when it's coming. And come back to life or get attacked by five chickens while walking to your car on your way to work every single day. 
I think I can, oh the the mall by the line. I, I get he you're, says you're coming back to life, but what do you what kind of form are you coming back to life in, man? Like missing a limb? I assume the idea is that you're like you, a, you're at least missing a digit, right? I assume you end up being fine, like you can be made whole again, but you have to go through the excruci- excruciating pain of getting ripped to shreds by a lion. Oh, I just yeah, I I I, I don't want to be the six million dollar man. That's what you'd have to come back as, man. They'd have to put you in man barely alive and they're going to put all kinds of different technology. No, I give me the chickens. I, I think I can fight the chickens. I think I can outrun the chickens. I can't outrun the lion. Yeah. I don't think this is much of a question. I, I I'll kick some chickens in the head. Yeah. Like, I'm, I with don't... You. I'm with you. I'm, I'm kind of with you there. I, and like I said, I, if I start to run, the chickens can't, they can't go fast enough to get the lion. He's going to get you. You can think you're going to outrun that cat. He's going to get you. Didn't we do a, a question? Uh, this is years ago, but didn't we at one point do a, a lion versus dinosaur situation. What would you rather be in an, an enclosed lion exhibit or an enclosed dinosaur exhibit like Jurassic Park? Like what, where would you have a better chance of surviving? I don't think I, the answer is neither. I, I think we hadn't argued about that one. Maybe it was on Twitter. This, this seems like a Jed Demusey thing. Maybe I argued with Jed Demusey on Twitter about it now that I think of it. But I remember that being a question like five years ago that we were going back and forth on for a while. How do you think you last longer in a, in a lion exhibit or a dinosaur exhibit? It's T-Rex. Uh, a lion exhibit. I mean, you could probably hide for a little bit. The, the T-Rex, he's going to get you. He's he's and the thing is, he's just going to sw- I guess the one thing is he's going to swallow you in one hole. Have you seen the commercial for the for the guy that's got he finds a little pet dinosaur in his in his yard and he has him as his pet and then he takes him out on a grill out. And he tries to give the mother, he goes, oh, the mother. And it's a giant T-Rex size thing. He tries to give it the hot dog and then it eats him. And then he, he like, he was looking at a, at his computer. You have not seen this commercial? I've, I haven't seen that commercial, no. Okay. And it just, it, it still, for every time it's on, I'm like, oh, I don't want to watch the end of this commercial. I don't want to watch the guy get eaten by the dinosaur, even though it's not real. Yeah, that just, I guess the good thing is you're going to get eaten in one, one, you know, one bite where the blind may take some time and rip you apart. That's a tough call, bro. Yeah, I, I think. I think I'm with you. The the lion, you have a better chance of surviving a little bit longer. I mean, a, a, a T-Rex could dead. just knock down buildings. I Correct. mean, it could stomp on trees. Like, there's nowhere to hide from a T-Rex. But a lion, in theory, you got like, even if you just stare down a lion at the right moment, and you kind of have the right posturing, you might be able to convince a lion to back off for a minute. That's a good point. You know, I mean, I've seen that before. T-Rex, he want no part of that. He just wants to eat you. Yeah, I mean, he does. He's not even noticing what you're doing. He doesn't even right. see you waving. He just smells you and eats you. Yeah, he, yeah, he doesn't even care that you're waving the white flag at him. Yeah. All right, that's all I got. Great stuff as always. Thank you, folks, for the questions, and keep them coming and keep those lists coming. I like to, I like, I like trying to put together lists. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly poetry edition, presented by Ryan Keeper of Fine Lemon.